I'd like to speak this evening about this, we could say, process that we are engaged in here together. And one of the ways we might understand it is the process of coming home, what that means for us, to come home. It's interesting to arrive at a retreat, as you all have done yesterday evening. One or two of you here have been here a little longer than that. But coming to a retreat, we often have some sense of sort of expectation, enthusiasm, interest, sense of possibility. And I'm regularly reminded in that situation of arriving, coming to a retreat of an experience that happened for me when I was quite young. And you may recognise it in a certain form. I grew up in New Zealand and uh, in the North Island, despite, in fact, uh, having been born in Switzerland where there's a lot of snow, I'd never seen snow for the first, I think, six, seven years of my life. And so it was kind of this fabled thing. And we were making a journey from the northern part of the island where I lived to the centre of the island where there were these uh, volcanoes, these quite large mountains, which were snowy. And there was this immense excitement amongst myself and my brother and sister. And I can remember quite clearly sort of saying, you know, Dad, how long is it going to take? It was a three-hour journey, quite a long trip, maybe four. Four-hour journey, actually, yes. And um, that sense of anticipation and looking forward and enthusiasm to getting to, you know, when are we going to get to the snow? Come on, Dad, how long is it going to be? Um, And having got there and running out in our gumboots, as we call them, or Wellingtons, you would call them, um, running around in the snow, finding how amazing it was, within really what I think was just a few minutes, our feet started to get really, really cold. And having spent almost four hours saying, Dad, how how long is it going to take? We want to get there. We're We're so keen. We pretty quickly turned from that into... Dad, can we go? I've had enough. It's too cold. Let me out of here. Take me away. I want to go now. And sometimes I think it's a little bit like that when we come on a retreat. There can be the anticipation, the excitement, the born of our previous experience and the benefit or the appreciation that we've had from that and the wish to re-engage with with a retreat, with meditation practice, or coming for the first time and kind of fresh and maybe a little innocent, we might say, we arrive here. And there's the the prospect of engaging in meditation, and we're told sitting and walking and standing, engaging in yoga and the, the, the postures, and we have sort of images and ideas and some sense of what that's going to be for us. And it's... Interesting, isn't it, how very easily for us the experience doesn't turn out quite as we imagined it to be. That somehow, even if we didn't think we had any expectation of what it would be like, it turns out that we did. Because even if we didn't know what was going to happen, we imagined at least it would feel good. Or else, why would we have gone along? Or at least even if it didn't feel good, we could see that there was some real benefit or progress, or development that was coming from it that made sense of whatever it was we were doing. 
And so we can, you know, put up with some discomfort as long as there's some progress to go with it. And then it feels even more noble, that progress, because we had to sweat for it. But sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes we encounter this experience of being on retreat. The expectation underlying it of somehow this is going to be it for me. This is going to do it. It's going to sort things out. And straight away, in fact, would be preferable, if not um, required. And when we turn up, you know, we think we've come here to practice yoga. We think we've come here to do meditation. We think we've come here to do many things. And yet, fundamentally, what we've come here to do is meet our mind, meet our life, meet what's true. And often, what we encounter, what we meet, doesn't seem like what we want or what we were looking for. And the sense can be of something else, somewhere else. I want to go. Or I want to move on. And we might feel the urge physically. Or we might just notice it in the tendency of how our mind is constantly moving away from where we are, looking for something else, looking to something else, the past or the future, for meaning, for satisfaction, for whatever it is that we're looking for. And... This experience that we encounter in being on retreat and that we can't really avoid noticing. And, you know, it might be, it might seem it would be compassionate if we could allow ourselves to avoid noticing it because it's really uncomfortable. But actually, it's profoundly, or much more profoundly compassionate to allow ourselves to notice this, even though it's uncomfortable. Because it's speaking to us, it's, it's, speaking to us of something that's crucial for us to understand. So much of the time, the way we live, the way we act, the way we relate to and interpret our life is from an unquestioned or not necessarily questioned or even conscious sense of not really being at home where we are. And we could think, or perhaps just reflect a little bit on what the sense of home represents for us. And it may have, that word might not have a particularly attractive resonance for you. There might be a different one. But for many, certainly for myself, the sense of what it evokes, it's like somewhere where we feel safe. Somewhere that's familiar. Somewhere that has a certain quality of warmth to it. That has it's sort of like our place. It's not sort of like we're on. We have to be like a guest where we can just you know be as we are. We don't have to hold sort of put on pretensions or be always sort of careful about somebody else whose place it is and what they think about us. It's it's like there's that sense of so the sense of ease, a sense of rest that we associate with the idea of home, what it is to be at home, to come home. And that sense of rest, that sense of ease, that sense of warmth or just relaxation is often significantly absent, noticeably absent from how we are experiencing our life. Whether we are at what we call our physical home, you know, the place we live, or in some other place, it can often be that the way we're acting, the way we're relating, the way we're it seems experiencing what's going on 
is from a sense of not being at home. And to see that, to understand that is really important. To begin to recognize that we're enacting a particular perception or relationship to life that leads us in a direction that we may not wish to choose or reinforce and support. But we need to become conscious of it before we can even consider that question. So what we notice when we turn our attention to what's actually happening in our lives, and of course what's happening here on retreat is none other than what happens in our lives. What we have here is the opportunity to begin to see it. And of course to respond to it skillfully. It's not that we're just looking at it, but that we're learning to bring forth useful, skillful, beneficial responses to our condition, to our situation. But what we can notice initially is there's a, a sense of looking for something. Looking for things to be other than as they are, to be different, to be better. Our body, you know. It would be hard to come along to a, a three-day four-day yoga and meditation retreat, without the thought that somehow, or the hope that somehow this will be good for my body, that will be beneficial and helpful. And of course it can be and it will be. And yet often underlying that wish for some well-being or benefit in our body can be some sense of just not okay, that this body isn't as it should be. There's something wrong with it or something not right with it quite apart from any ability to recognize its limitations, which, of course, all our bodies have. We can notice there's a sense of coming to a retreat, you know, hoping we'll have a kind of experience that maybe it'll be lovely, delightful, uplifting, nourishing, spiritual in some way that will feel sort of ennobling to us. And again, all these things are appropriate and part of what's possible in the context of a retreat. And yet, there can be, rather than a, a sense of openness to the possibilities that we could discover that can be quite wholesome and beneficial, often what's going on underneath, or perhaps together with that, is a sense of, it's not okay. The way things are, the way I am, this mind, this body, this world, this life, somehow needs to be different than it is. And we're looking for what that fix might be, what that improvement could be and how to make it happen, how to bring it about. Whether we're looking for something material, something psychological or something, we could say, spiritual. That particular urge or pull tends to run through the entirety of our life until we've seen it clearly, begun to question and examine it. So what happens if we look at this process? What's going on? It's like there's this urge and this urgency, this busyness of always moving towards one thing, moving away from another. Hoping for that which we desire, like, enjoy, find pleasurable or flattering. And at the same time fearing that which we find uncomfortable, scary, embarrassing, uncomfortable in some way or form. 
And this process can go on and on and on. It's exhausting. And it's not successful. If it was successful, we'd have got there by now. We'd have actually found, created, made that situation, circumstance, experience that would allow us to say, ah, yes, this is it. But somehow we are kind of remarkably hopeful in a way that's both sort of sweetly innocent and yet tragic. And somewhat reflected in the story, one of the stories I I like to tell, um, of Mullah Nasruddin, who's a Sufi teaching figure, both a wise man and a fool, though one may suspect his foolishness as really an invitation for us to see our own foolishness. And one day Nasruddin was uh, found by some friends of his. He was sitting in the corner of the village square on market day with a large pile of red-hot chilies in front of him. He was picking up the chilies and eating them. And his eyes were sort of streaming with tears. His nose was running. His cheeks were red. And he was obviously in quite some considerable degree of distress eating these red-hot chilies. And his friends came up and said, Mullah, Mullah which is his sort of title and term of respect. Mullah, Mullah, what are you doing? And he says, I'm eating these chilies. And he picks another one up and chews on it, swallows it, and his whole body shudders with the intense discomfort of it. And his friend said, Mullah, Mullah, we can see that you're eating these chilies. Why are you eating these chilies? Nazareth looks up and smiles. He says, I keep hoping to find a sweet one. And that's a little bit like ourselves, isn't it? It's like we keep hoping to find a way to organise our experience, organise our body, organise our emotional life, organise our minds, organise the world in some way in order to just be able to relax, to be at ease, to make it fit with how we'd like it to be so that we can have a rest, so that we can stop having to keep fixing it, adjusting it, or kind of moving around towards one thing and away from another. And what's going on, to a large extent, when our life is not examined, is that we're trying to make our home in something which really is not capable of providing that. We're trying to find a refuge in a context where the things we're seeking to rely upon or to make a refuge within keep changing, keep moving, don't always do what we wish them to. Or when they do, do so only for a limited period of time. We think in terms of trying to get things the way we wish them to be. And yet, life isn't like that. Life is the way that it is. We can see 
in the silence, in the being here with ourselves, how many ways in which we're pulled and pushed, how we get caught in reactivity. And often the feeling is, I'm not supposed to be doing that. I'm supposed to be meditating, calm and peaceful. Or I should be in my yoga practice, kind of enjoying opening and relaxing into some deeper state of being. And yet, while, yes, that's part of it, it's equally part of it that we see what goes on. To see how we tend to get caught in wanting, craving, seeking, desiring particular experiences. You know, it's relatively sort of undemanding the situation that we're in here. It's not, it's not that difficult a circumstance. And yet we can experience it as very difficult. Because often we want our mind to be in a certain way. We want our body to be in a certain way. But seeing what it does, looking at it, we see how we might be sitting, trying to be calm and peaceful. There's this sense of wanting. We want something better to happen. We want something exciting to happen. We want the mind to be calm or to be quiet. And maybe it is for a moment or two, and it's then, great, wow, finally it's calm, it's quiet. And we get excited and we think, wow, I've arrived. How am I going to keep it now? And within a moment we find ourselves so busy thinking about, so excited about that moment of calm that we've lost it. It's gone. Or we notice that, you know, we're just moving through the, maybe the dining room. And we don't really need anything. There's no problem at all. And yet somehow our attention is drawn to the, the tea bags. And, you know, we want to look at them and examine what's written on the boxes. And it seems remarkable and fascinating to us. And it's like we're hungry for something to stimulate us, to entertain us, to distract us from just having to be here. And it's kind of amusing, really. And at the same time, maybe a little embarrassing. Sense of being pulled realizing that we don't actually have as much control over our mind as we might imagine, as we might wish. And that there's something uncomfortable in that. We mostly don't notice how uncomfortable it is because we simply act on it. We simply do it. When we take the opportunity that's offered here to not just enact it, but to stop, to rest for a moment, to just feel what it's like to... Not always act so quickly or enact so quickly and unquestioningly the urges of our mind. We might notice that we kind of like to speak to someone because we feel a little lonely. And yet we don't normally notice the loneliness because we just go and speak to someone. We pick up our phone and start texting someone. Or it might not be that we're lonely, it might just be that we're a little uncomfortable. Maybe it's a little uncomfortable to be just with ourselves and we want to speak to someone and so normally we just go and do it and yet here we're invited to just feel what's that that sense of not being comfortable what's that about how is it that I'm just here there's not too much to do there's no great demands placed upon me and yet I'm not at ease in this looking for someone to engage with and it's really important when we notice that to not just follow that urge to speak to someone. But to hold, to contain that, and to 
Just let oneself feel what that's like. Huh. Can we make space for that experience? We don't have to judge it. It's not wrong or bad that we might wish to engage with someone. It's perfectly natural and fine. But to see what's going on underneath that requires a certain discipline and restraint. Or noticing how sometimes it's fear, it's aversion, a sense of I don't like, I don't want what's going on. And we might think, oh, the last time I went to the sitting, it just went on and on and on. Maybe I'll just skip the next one. You know, I'll just go and sit in the sun. It's probably the only sunny weekend we're going to have all month. You know, and not an unreasonable sort of uh, assumption. And yet that way in which we quite easily just choose to not go to those places where it's uncomfortable for us. When we do that, when we live like that, our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Because wherever we move away from something that's not comfortable and make that a no-go area, it's kind of like that, that whole tendency, that reaction, that habit of not liking and needing to move away comes with us to whichever new place we go to. And inevitably there we find something too. Have you ever noticed that? You know, it seems like there's just one thing that needs sorting out. And if I could sort that out, things will be fine. You know, if just my knee wasn't hurting, then I could really meditate. And yet, often what happens when that particular thing is no longer a problem? Something else turns out to be a problem. In fact, you know, my knee stops aching and then I find I'm falling asleep. And it's like the only thing that was stopping me falling asleep was the pain in my knee. And actually... That was less uncomfortable than trying to stay awake. And we see how that struggle can just move around. And so the habit of always moving away doesn't make sense because the sense of struggle or unease follows us. Because it's not to do with the thing or the experience. It's a habit, a tendency. It's like a predisposition of our mind that, again, we haven't seen clearly or questioned Other times we feel restless, or we feel drowsy, as I said. Or we might feel a sense of uncertainty. It's like, what am I doing here? What's all this about? Why am I doing this apparently balmy activity? You know, if someone was walking past and saw me doing this, they'd think I lost it. You know, imagine describing this to your friends who've never done it before. So what did you do? Well, we sat around for a while doing nothing, sitting on a cushion. Went for a little walk back and forth. Then later on in the day, we did some sort of really slow movement and postures. And, you know, it's not like we've produced any great results at the end of it, it would seem. What often happens also is that we look around and we think everyone else seems to be able to do it. Everyone else is getting it. But me? No. It doesn't work. It's remarkable how often it happens that one person is looking around at everybody else thinking they can do it and I can't. And a few moments later somebody is looking at them thinking, hmm, they seem to be sitting really still, calm and quiet. It's like this way we have of relating that 
or, or perceiving our experience that under, has underlying it the sense of it's not okay, it's not right. And this is really the sense of not being at home. In our life, in our body, in our mind. We'd like to get away from that condition, but we can't. We'd like to escape from it, but we have to face it. Because there isn't anything else. There isn't somewhere else to go. This is your life. This is your heart, your mind, your body. It's what's here. It's with you. That doesn't mean it has to be something we're not at home in or that we struggle with. But it does mean we need to understand what it means to be human, what it means to be alive. To see, this is something the Buddha pointed out and spoke of regularly. He said, we need to really look at what it is to be alive, to not kid ourselves or pretend. To see that when we have a human body, It's subject to discomfort and sickness. And when we're sitting here and we become uncomfortable, we often think it's because I'm having to sit and I'm not allowed to move. Well, I'm sort of allowed to move, but I'm not really supposed to move. Or whatever it is, we're not quite sure maybe. And if I didn't have to sit here, then I'd be comfortable. But you know, if you found the most comfortable chair, or in fact the most luxurious mattress and you sat there or you lay on that most luxurious mattress and you didn't move for a little while, you'd start to become uncomfortable. You can try it if you like. If you haven't, if you're not confident or don't take that one just to sit, if you really don't move somewhere, you'll become uncomfortable. What happens for elderly people or people who are sick who are lying in a bed and can't move is not just does it become uncomfortable, but in fact the very tissue of the body starts to break down. You get this really uncomfortable and painful condition called bed sores just from not being able to move. And so it's like it's inherent in our bodily condition that we experience discomfort unless we keep moving. And yet that keeping moving seems to disguise from us the fact that The nature of the body is at times to experience discomfort. And to learn to make peace with that is to begin to make peace with something that shows itself not just in our body, but equally in our hearts and our minds. The the Buddha spoke of how in our hearts in life we experience sorrow, pain, grief, lamentation and despair. He talked about that sort of as that a group of human experiences born of having a human heart. And it, it doesn't sound good, does it? You know, sorrow, pain, grief, lamentation, and despair. It's not like what we, what we write on the brochure for coming on a retreat. Come along and you too can experience all of these. It's not what we'd sign up for and think, great, I'm going to have some of that. Yes, please. And yet all of our lives are touched by these things. And it's inevitable. It's unavoidable. And... Quite simply, it's unavoidable, Um, not just because that's how it has to be, but because we have these hearts that care. We care about things. All of us, we do. And in life, the things we care about don't always stay. They change. We lose contact with them. People die. Situations come to an end. And so there's loss, there's sorrow, there's grief. 
in so many ways. We're all touched by this. The only way we could avoid this would be to never care for anything in life. And that itself would be painful to our hearts. So we can't avoid it. It's part of what we encounter. And likewise, having a mind. We have these minds that we often think is who we are. Though in fact we may come to discover otherwise. But for now at least we we notice this activity of mind that goes on, this thinking, these thoughts about ourselves and about the world, about others. And see how much of it is to do with our wish for things to be a certain way. And yet our experience is that sometimes we're associated with things that we don't like. As the Buddha said, he said, we experience association with the disliked, separation from the liked, and we experience not getting what we want. How annoying. We can't get it the way we want it. Now, again, that seems like bad news. It's like, oh gosh, that's not going to cheer me up. I was hoping to come here and figure out how to get what I want. So all these experiences are difficult. Physical, emotional, psychological, we could say, challenges we experience as a result of being alive that we all encounter. That's part of what it means to be human. Of course, we also experience things that are beautiful, that are uplifting, that are delightful. Perhaps walking in the grass, in the morning, in the sunshine. Or seeing the light coming through the leaves of the trees in the evening. We might just feel a sense of, oh, how beautiful, how lovely. Many sweet experiences come too. We're not suggesting that it's only or all the difficult. And yet what often happens when the difficult arises is we react to it. We struggle with it. We resist it. And that adds a deeper level of suffering, of disconnection, of dissonance or dis-ease to our life. And that's really the basis of not being at home, of feeling ourselves alienated from that sense of being at home that we yearn for most deeply in our hearts. So one thing that we are asked to do, that we need to do here in this situation, is to really bring a lot of kindness a lot of tenderness and care to ourselves in this situation. It's like, wow, it's difficult, isn't it? Rather than we've done it wrong and everybody else is having this really fun time and if I just got it right, then my body would be you know, perfect and my mind and my heart and my meditation would all just be the way I want them. No, it's like, oh yeah, we're all in this together. It's one of the things that stands out in the group interviews. And some of you will have perhaps had this experience today, others maybe tomorrow. That we hear others' stories and we realize, oh, actually it's not so different from our own. Our minds, our bodies, they kind of creak one way or another. And so seeing, oh yeah, this is how it is. Can I meet that with kindness? Can I bring a sense of caring to this experience and stay open to it rather than constantly trying to fix it or find a different or a better improved model? There's a kind of lovely expression you're probably familiar with. It says, home is where the heart is. And obviously, you know, 
traditionally or classically that's, I guess, referring to the sense of we feel at home in those places where we experience love, where we sense of our heart being open. We tend to imagine that we need very particular conditions for our heart to open. We need to be sort of comfortable and safe. And that's true to a certain degree. Feel appreciated and cared for by another. And that's true indeed to a certain degree. And yet we can learn to open our heart to all experiences. To be able to embrace the entirety of our life and life itself. This whole vast world. Full of both beauty, nobility and struggle, suffering and cruelty. The full range of life is something we can learn to include. And so we're actually engaged in the process of opening to this. This that is our life. And learning or or seeing that in that process of opening we can come to discover that there is more to this than we have imagined. Not in the way that we might think, like more better things to have or get, or improvements to make, like sort of renovating our home or putting on an extension or or just redecorating. But there's something else, really. There's a whole other order of being, of understanding, of possibility for us as human beings that we miss, that we don't give ourselves the opportunity to receive, to recognize, to realize when we're so busy chasing after things or running away from experiences. And so that really the, the fundamental issue is how we believe that what we experience, the content, the things, the particular flavour or texture of what it is we encounter, whether in other people or in ourselves or in the world, that those things are really what will make us happy, give us lasting satisfaction. When we believe in that way, that we need to control them, we need to get a grip on them and work out how to manipulate them in order to make them fit the way we want. And much of our activity, much of what we get lost in in our minds, how we become disconnected from where we are, is this process of trying to figure out how things work, what happened in the past, what caused the things that I like to happen or enjoyed and appreciated, so I can repeat that in the future, and what brought about the things that I really didn't like, that were painful or scary to me, so I can attempt to prevent them ever happening again. So much of our inner activity is concerned with this. And it keeps us distant from where we are, from the, from the presence of our life that is right here, that is just this, just this experience. Because in fact it is not the content of our experience, the particular things, the sensations in our body or the sights or the flavours or the thoughts that arise for us that really makes the difference in our life. It's how we meet them. 
What happens is not in our control. We can influence it to some degree, but we can't make it be the way we want it. Have you noticed your mind? I hope you've noticed your mind. The situation here is designed to make it really hard for you not, or to be able to avoid noticing your mind. Does it do what you tell it to? Really? Can you say, okay, be quiet, be calm, be peaceful, be mindful of your breathing for the next 40 minutes? Does it do that? It's not an unreasonable request. Sounds like it should be quite simple and straightforward. But does it happen? It doesn't seem to for most people. And if that which seems so close to us, so intimate, so much what we imagine to be who we are, this mind doesn't do what we tell it to, is not in our control. How likely is it that anything else in this world is going to fit in with what we want it to do or follow our instructions? Not so likely at all. And yet, that recognition is not in itself bad news. Because really what it invites us to do is to turn away from a mode of engaging that really doesn't work. If it worked, it would be fine. It would be great. No one, I certainly would have no problem with it. But it doesn't work. If it was going to work, it would have already worked. And yet, a little bit like Nazarin, we somehow without really thinking about it, tend to imagine that if I just do this a bit more, then it will work. Despite the fact that it hasn't really worked so far. So, learning to meet our experience without placing demands upon it or upon ourselves. Learning to open to the way things are. By doing just what we're doing, coming again and again into contact with this experience, coming again and again in touch, bringing ourselves, inviting ourselves, supporting and encouraging ourselves in a hopefully friendly and kind way to say, okay, this is what it's like right here. This is what it's right, like right now. And as we do that, of course, there's a way in which we, we are training the heart and mind, training the mind to be more steady, more, more focused, by coming back again and again, every time we come back. It's like we're exercising a certain muscle, we're developing a certain capacity, and over time we start to notice it's more possible to be here. And the way we do that is so important, it's a little bit like training a puppy. And, you know, if you want a puppy to live in this world with you as a companion, it needs to learn a few things. It can't just live in its sort of wild state in human context. It wouldn't live very happily or very long. So we need to train it, for instance, to heal, to follow behind. What happens when you want to get a puppy to follow you? You put it behind you, you say, you know, come along, follow me. What does it do? Stay there? Not a chance. Runs away. You go and find it, you bring it back, you say, heal, follow me, stay here. Runs away again. Now, if when it runs away, you get angry with it and say, bad dog, I told you not to do that, follow me, stay here. <coughs> but 
pretty soon the puppy gets a little bit anxious and worried and in fact probably looks for every opportunity to get away from this rather bad-tempered character that seems to be you know, bossing it around. Our mind is much like that. If we give ourselves a hard time for getting lost or wandering off, we kind of get into this really mixed relationship with meditation where we're not really sure if we want to do it because we have to tell ourselves off if we get it wrong. So we don't need to tell ourselves off because we haven't got it wrong. We just see the mind wanders off. And like if we see, you know, a puppy runs off to smell a flower or chase a butterfly, decorate a tree, whatever. We say, oh, there you are. Ah, come back here. Oh, there you are. Come back here. Over time, the puppy actually works out that this is quite a friendly person. It might be quite fun to hang around with them. And it learns what it needs to learn. So too with our mind. It's like, oh, there you are. Bring it back. Oh, that's what's happening. Okay, that's where I am. Huh, here I am. So that we're training the mind. And we're also training the heart, we could say, or developing the heart in our capacity to open to, by staying steady with, by being willing to receive those experiences which aren't easy for us, which you might otherwise avoid or seek to escape from. It's like we're exercising that muscle too. That muscle that can just say, okay, yeah, I can make room for this. I can make space for this. It's not always comfortable, but it's okay. It's okay. And that sense of okayness, that sense of being able to establish ourselves again and again where we are, begins to open the door to what it is to truly be at home. Getting or coming home, we could say, understanding what that means, is not about somehow getting to some place that we're not. Somewhere that's other than where we are. But coming to really understand and trust that not only is this place where we are the place where we need to be, the place where home is to be found, but that we have within us that capacity to be, to be at home in this. That we can learn to trust that. And as we do so, and we do so, it does take time, it's not easy for us, but as we do so, what naturally happens is that the sense of Departing or moving away or a sense of unease or constant looking for something else starts to relax, starts to release its grip on our heart, on our life. And it's like we can, ah. It's almost like sometimes, you know, you breathe out or we breathe out and there's that sense of, ah. And we just feel ourselves here. There's something that relaxes, something that opens, something that expands. And at the same time as it feels softened, there's a softening. There's also a solidify or a substantiality to it. There's just, huh, yeah, right. And we maybe have noticed moments like that in the sitting, in the walking, in the yoga, in the just being here. Or maybe we haven't. That's okay. But that sense of possibility is there for us all. And I think, in fact, it's often the case that 
We touch it more than we realise. Often we don't quite notice it when it happens fully because we're sort of looking for something else. And yet that simple, ordinary, natural condition of just, ah, here, this, now. It's not sexy. It's not sort of something you could show your friends at home and say, that was great. It doesn't have anything that it comes, no bells and whistles or flashing lights. And yet, huh, just what that is, deep in our hearts and our beings, where we just, huh, arrive, land. And see that this is the, the product of letting go of our struggle with the way things are. Our struggle to control our body, our mind, our world. This is what naturally unfolds, reveals itself as we deepen in our unconditionality. When we're not placing conditions on how things have to be in order for me to be here. It's got to be like this. It's got to be not like that. Then I'll be here. No, we start to see that we have the capacity to be here in the midst of it all. And that as we do so, there's a sense of, ah, again, just like breathing out, it's just, ah, we land, we arrive. And there's something in that that speaks to us. There's something in that that we recognize. And perhaps we recognize as, being something we've yearned for, that we've longed for. And that is very simple, very natural, very organic. This quality of being wholeheartedly, unconditionally, just here. This really is what speaks to us of home, of true home. That isn't somewhere, that isn't a particular place or thing or experience, but more a way of being and an understanding that supports that way of being. That sees the the struggle with life as something we can learn to release. that sees our demands upon ourselves or on others as something we can begin to let go of. And as we do, it seems the space opens up quite naturally. It's not something we make happen. It's like we become to become more able to recognize, to realize, to receive the space that's already here. And that we just didn't quite notice because we were looking somewhere else or trying to go somewhere else, trying to get something else, trying to be someone else. And here the invitation, we don't need to do that. There's nowhere else to go. There's no one else you need to be. And yet be interested in this.
Wumen says, 10,000 flowers in spring, the moon in autumn, a cool breeze in summer, snow in winter. When your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. So what does that mean for us? It doesn't mean that somehow we have to get rid of all the things that arise in our minds. But do we need to not cloud our mind with the struggle with them? As we learn to not struggle with our experience, the mind naturally begins to clear. Just as a glass full of muddy water left to stand quite naturally begins to settle and clear. And yet if we pick it up every few minutes and shake it, saying it's not getting clear, what's wrong? Of course it never clears. So we're learning to let things settle. Learning to come to rest. Right where we are. Right in the midst of all of this. And this is a remarkably challenging thing to do. So please don't underestimate what a what an endeavour we are engaged in. And with that, give yourself space for allowing it to find its own way. So, here we are. And here we continue to be. Can we Discover what it means to be at home in the midst of all of this. Not holding ourselves distant from anything and yet not needing to be bound up with anything. This is the path of peace and of freedom. And this is what's simply and naturally revealed to us. As we allow ourselves to be just where we are, just as we are. So let's sit quietly for a minute or two. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.